just like to welcome everyone who's joining us for our live stream today. It's only one part of our service here at City Temple and Chelsea Community Church. You can be part of the whole thing via Zoom by dropping us an email, or you can come and visit us in person here at Chelsea Community Church at 11 a.m. on Sundays. Uh, if you have your Bible, let's turn to three places. First of all, to uh, Daniel chapter 6, uh, then to Matthew, that's chapter 5 in Matthew, and finally to uh, 2 Timothy Before we read, let's pray. Gracious God, thank you so much for your word. I do thank you that it is trustworthy and true. And I pray, Father, that your Holy Spirit would enable me to proclaim your word today to your people. We love you and we praise you and we honor you. Open up our hearts that we might hear you speak to us and that we might obey. All to the glory and honor of Jesus. For we pray all this in his name. Amen. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom and over them three high officials of whom Daniel was one to whom these satraps should give account so that the king might not suffer loss. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Then the high officials and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint about Daniel with regard to the kingdom. But they could, not, they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. Then these men said, we shall not find any ground for complaint against Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. Then these high officials and satraps came by agreement to the king and said to him, O King Darius, live forever. All the high officials of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, the counselors and the governors are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to any god or man for 30 days, except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document and injunction. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. Then they came near and said before the king concerning the injunction, O king, did you not sign an injunction that anyone who makes petition to any god or man within 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? The king answered and said, The thing stands fast according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Then they answered and said before the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah? pays no attention to you, O king. 
or the injunction you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. Then the king, when he heard these words, was much distressed and set his mind to deliver Daniel. And he labored until the sun went down to rescue him. Then these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, Know, O king, that it is a law of the Medes and Persians that no injunction or ordinance that the king establishes can be changed. Then the king commanded, and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. The king declared to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve, continually deliver you. And a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet, and with the signet of his lords, that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. Then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him, and sleep fled from him. Then at the break of day the king arose and went in haste to the den of lions. As he came near to the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish. The king declared to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve continually been able to deliver you from the lions? Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. May God sent, uh, my God sent his angel and shut the lions' mouths, and they have not harmed me because I was found blameless before him, and also before you, O king. I have done no harm." Then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den and no kind of harm was found on him because he had trusted in his God. And the king commanded and those men who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought and cast into the den of lions, they, their children, and their wives. And before they reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces. Then King Darius wrote to all the peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in the, all the earth, Peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion, people are to tremble in fear before the God of Daniel, for he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed, and his dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. So this Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus, the Persian. And then to Matthew, Matthew chapter 5. Just verses 14 to 16. You are the light of the world. A city set on the hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Then finally to 2 Timothy chapter 4, picking up with verse 9. Do your best to come to me soon. For Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Luke alone is with me. 
Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry. Tychicus I have, set, I have sent to Ephesus. When you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas, also the books and above all the parchments. Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Beware of him yourself, for he strongly opposed our message. At my first defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. May it not be charged against them. But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me, so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Well, you guys seem to enjoy that first song we sang. I won't back down. No, I won't back down. And so on and so forth. And uh, uh, that was such an important song for me when I was in the hospital a couple of years ago. Uh, I was, uh, had been in a coma for five weeks and came out of that coma and was in and out of various stages of deliriums. And, uh, uh, and that song, uh, I, I guess when I got my iPad or whatever, uh, I was listening to the song and I kept listening to the song. And one of my deliriums that I remember full well is I was at UCLH doing a benefit conference, uh, concert for the doctors and the nurses of UCLH. And so I was on one of the awnings. We'd set up a makeshift stage on the awning and I was there with my band. I don't know if Ade was playing with me or not in that band, but I was there with my full band and there was lots of lights and there were hundreds of doctors and nurses out there and we were all swaying back and forth saying, I won't back down. No, I won't back down. And I had that delirium a couple of different times. I don't think it actually happened. But uh, I'm pretty sure it didn't. I mean, it wasn't on the news or anything. I'm sure my friends would have told me. Uh, but it was really prominent. And even today, that's such an important song for me. You know, and I think it's really an important song for us who are living in Babylon. We've been talking about that. We don't live in Israel any longer. We don't live in a society that favors Christianity. We're living in Babylon. We're living in a society that tends to be hostile toward Christianity, tends to be hostile toward Christians and hostile toward churches, at least some of the people in our society. And they push certain ideologies that are contrary to our beliefs as Christians. But if you really pay attention to it, you'll notice that it's not everybody in society that does that. There are a lot of leaders that seem to be open to Christianity. And most of the people on the street, they're kind of passive about it, a little bit laissez-faire. You know, live and let live, it's okay. Uh, and so it's a really strange dynamic that we're living in because clearly there's some open hostility toward our Christian faith, toward Christians, toward churches, and toward the things of God. Where is that coming from? What's happening? 
What are the dynamics that are going on? And we need to understand these things if we are to live effectively, if we are to flourish here in our Babylon society. And so we can learn a lot from Daniel in this passage. It's a great story. It's a story that everybody remembers. If you've grown up in church, you were probably taught this story many times as a child. Daniel was thrown into the lion's dens, and the lion's den, and he doesn't get eaten. He spends the night with the lions, uh, and then he wakes up in the morning, and he's delivered by God. And we go, "Yay! It's such a great story." I mean, it's interesting that we, as children, we're not told the part about where the the people against Daniel and their wives and their children are consumed, ripped to shreds by the lions. You know, why is why is that not in any of the kids' books? I don't know. It's a, it's a pretty intense story here, right? But it wasn't because of Darius. Because we see in the story, Darius likes Daniel. We saw last week that normally a conquering king like Darius would have killed all of the senior leaders in the kingdom. And Daniel was number three under Belshazzar, at least for about 12 hours until Belshazzar died. And here comes Darius into this situation and he lets Daniel live. It's extraordinary. And not only does Daniel live, I mean, Darius really likes the guy. He makes him one of the three key overseers in the kingdom and he does such a good job with it that he says, you know, I'm going to make this guy number one. I'm, he's going to be over the whole kingdom just under me. And so obviously there's a group of people that don't like that. They're called satraps. It's just another, another word for civil servants. You know, if you read satraps, if you think civil servants, consultants, and middle managers, you kind of get the idea of who they were. And so the satraps, they don't like that very much. And so obviously they come to the, they conspire together against Daniel and they say, well, we can't find anything with way, the way he does his job, but we can get him. And so they come up with this idea. They come to Darius, say, hey, Darius, hey, great idea here. Why don't you say for 30 days that nobody can pray to any God but you? And no God, no person but you. They can't make an entreaty. They can't pray. And by the way, we all agree. All of your satraps agree with this. All of the, the civil servants, every single one of them are 100% behind this. So why don't you put it into law because your law can't be revoked? So he said, well, okay, I guess if everybody's behind it, sure. And he signs it into the law. And then they wait. And Daniel hears about it. What does he do? He goes upstairs in his house and he opens the windows. Now, most people, they close the curtains, right? He opens the windows and he starts praying. And of course, they say, we got him now. So they go and they report on him. And, uh, and Darius, all of a sudden, he realizes he's been duped. And he doesn't like it. But eventually, uh, there's no way to get around it because my law can't be changed. I can't even change the law that I put in place. And so, calls Daniel, says, Daniel, well, I hope your God's real and he'll deliver you because I really like you and I'd really hate for you to be lion food. And so puts him in there. Next morning, obviously, he wakes up. He's, wow, hey, I'm okay, king, live forever. It's really cool. Uh, I named them 
because they're friendly lions, you know, they didn't eat me at all. No, an angel came down, he kept them away, and uh, that's great. And then Darius says, okay, all you guys that messed with me, these are the consequences. And then amazingly, here at the end of the story, remember it's the law of the Medes and the Persians. So what he's declaring cannot be changed. And he's not a Christian, he's not a Jew, he's not a believer. He says, all peoples in my reign need to fear and respect the God of Daniel, because he's the living God. And he praises God and he proclaims God. And it's such an extraordinary story. And in that story, we learn a lot about how, uh, how Babylon functions, and we learn a lot about how Daniel was delivered from the mouths of the lions. And the key thing about this is that every single thing in this passage applies to us today. Aside from the fact that we're not in the, under the law of the Medes and the Persians. You, you get my... Uh, it applies to us though. It's very real and relevant for our context. And so we need to act as Daniel did. We need to understand things as Daniel did. Uh, in order to flourish as Daniel did. Now, first thing, as Daniel did, we must remain aware of the Babylonian conspiracy against God and God's people. And do not be deceived. There is a conspiracy going on against God, against God's ways, and against God's people. And we must be aware of it. We must be aware of what's going on and all the different players involved and how it tends to function. Because once you see it in the story of Daniel, you'll see it today. Because it's working in exactly the same way. And Daniel was not surprised by anything that happened to him. Because he'd seen it all before. He'd seen all these things happen in the past. So he wasn't surprised at all. Uh, one of the things we see here, Daniel perceived here, we see that most of the time in Babylon, Babylon's senior leaders, the, the people at the top, tend to be positive toward religious belief, even though they tend to be pluralistic. If you talk, you know, if I sat down and had a pint with Rishi, uh, my buddy, you know, Rishi Sunak, if uh, he and I got to sit down and have a pint, and I told him that I was, uh, I was a minister, Christian minister, I think he would respect that. I think we'd have an interesting conversation. Now, I think that about most of the leaders in Babylon, most of the leaders around the world, they have a respect for people of faith. But it doesn't matter to them what faith they're of. They could be Hindu, they could be Christian, they could be Muslim, it doesn't matter. You know, but because the leaders are kind of pluralistic that way, but they tend to be positive toward religion, unless the leader is motivated by fear. In every place in the world where you see a senior leader, such as, well, you can name several nations in Asia, where you see the senior leader openly opposing Christians and churches, it's because they are afraid of Christians and churches somehow undermining society, doing something. But other than that, 
the leaders are generally positive, if pluralistic, doesn't make them Christians. Even if they claim to be Christian, doesn't make them Christians just because they're positive that way. The other thing that ba I think Daniel realized in Babylon, and we see it more by implication in this passage than uh, and the other passages, than by a direct revelation, is that in Babylon, the, the common people, you know, people like us, the common people, they tend to be passive and private regarding their religious beliefs. So we made a big thing about how now only about 47% of people in the UK would, would self-identify as Christian. And it's easy to think that the rest of the people that are not, that are not, say, Muslim or Hindu, and, and those are small percentages of the totality of the UK, we can kind of think, well, the rest of them are atheists. No, they're not. There's a few atheists, and there's a lot of people who call themselves atheists who aren't atheists. They just are no religion. In other words, it's not really important to them. I had a great conversation with a guy just this, this last week. Senior leader in a major company. He and I were sitting having a cup of tea together. And he said to me, he said, Rod, you know, it's not that I'm against religion. I'm not. Uh, my family is Buddhist. And I'm very open to it. I just don't have much time for it in my life. And that tends to be the situation all across Babylon. For many people, religion is not important. I saw that when I was in the hospital. I talked to, to nurses from a lot of different spiritual backgrounds, including some known to be connected with extremism and, and so on and so forth. And the consistent theme was, well, this is important for my parents, or I, I respect it, but I don't really have time for it. Not very important in my life. Uh, and so for most people, they'll be kind of passive about it unless it starts to intrude in their lifestyle uh, or unless they can perceive some immediate personal benefit that they'll perceive. This, uh, this guy's uh, family that I mentioned, he has an uncle in the States who goes to a church uh, in a small town not necessarily because he's a Christian, but primarily because it's a good way to make business connections. And so he's very involved in his church because of that, that kind of dynamic. So there's a personal benefit, uh, but if it starts to intrude on their lifestyle, then they'll get hostile. If it starts to intrude on the way they live, uh, then they'll be upset. So if the senior leaders tend to be okay, and the common people tend to be okay, where's the conspiracy? I mean, where do we see that? It comes clear in this passage, and if you open your eyes, you'll see it's clear, even today, in the United Kingdom and in the United States. It's Babylon's satraps. It's the bureaucrats, the consultants, the middle managers who tend to be the ones who conspire against God's people and God's ways in Babylon's system. It's those middle managers, those bureaucrats, those mandarins, those consultants, or those consultant organizations 
You know, we have several in our society that are being brought in and paid exorbitant sums of money to say, you know, to evaluate how the business operates. It's those people that tend to be opposed to God and God's ways and to be working actively against God and God's ways. And you see these people in business, you see them in government, you see them in education, you see them in health care, and on and on. And you can even see them in religion, in religious systems in Babylon, even Christian religious systems. Don't think that because somebody has a senior position in any denomination that that means they're a Christian. Many are not. I don't have a faith. So it's these people that tend to conspire against God, against God's people, against God's ways, against God's church in Babylon. And they have some highly predictable things about them. First of all, they have highly predictable motives, these conspirators, as I will call them, these conspirators. Many of them are motivated by power and control. They want to exercise the influence. They want to exercise the control. They want to have the authority. And many times they want the authority without the responsibility. So the strategy is, if I can influence, that's great. And I want to have as much influence as I can. But if something goes wrong, then I want somebody over me that I can blame it on. You see it all around us. They're also motivated by envy and jealousy. So if someone is doing better, if some organization is doing better, if the church seems to be favored, that's a big issue right now. The established church in the UK. There are a lot of organizations that are jealous of the Church of England and are trying to bring it down, trying to influence it in negative ways out of their envy and jealousy. And some of them are motivated by greed and gain. They want more, they want more. But you can see this if you start to listen and look closely, you can start hearing these motives. These motives. And these conspirators oppose God and God's people and the things of God, especially if God's people are successful, especially if we are do, do well, and if we oppose the ideologies of Babylon. If we take a stand, say, in support of life, they'll come in opposition. If we take a stand in support of a biblical view of marriage, They'll come in opposition. And they have very typical strategies they use. One strategy is they will develop careful schemes to gain their advantage and get their way. Just like the satraps here came by agreement. These guys were developing behind the scene strategies. I know one group, and I won't mention the group, but I know one group in our society that started intentionally developing a strategy to promote acceptance of this movement back in the 1970s. And they're still working out that strategy. And it's not only this group, there's many other groups that have done this kind of thing. Another strategy that they have is that they will seek to manipulate laws 
and the legal system to gain advantage. You see what the satraps did. And many times what people are trying to do, they're trying to get laws passed. But we saw that in the, all the laws against what was called conversion therapy. Now there were some dynamics that were going on there. It wasn't just an understanding of conversion therapy, one that probably I would be opposed to personally. It was an attempt to thwart the ability even to pray for people. It's going on. So they'll try to manipulate laws and the legal system. And they will attack people in one of two ways. The first line of attack is to try to find a ground of complaint in how they conduct themselves in their job, in their post. So we have the doctor who was suspended because he was praying for his, 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 some of his patients at their request. And so this doctor gets suspended. You have teachers where this happens to as well. Not even Christian ones who have lo lost their position because they try to find a ground of complaint in the way the person does their job. And if they can't find a ground of complaint in the way the person does their job, then they will seek to find a ground of complaint in their religious beliefs. We saw this most clearly in the SMP leadership campaign last year with the demonization, and I use that word uh, advisedly, a little tongue-in-cheek, of Kate Forbes, the SMP leader. Nobody could fault her in the way that she was conducting herself with regard to her representation of her people in Scotland. Everybody praised the quality of work she did. So what did they do? They started trying to trap her and trick her in terms of her religious faith. And even though, if you look at how she answered, she answered with wisdom and grace, people took it out of context to find a ground of complaint against her. This is all the way back in Babylon. It's a common, common strategy. And then what they'll do, they'll use lying and deception to gain the advantage. Notice how the satraps came and they said to Darius, you know, all of the satraps have agreed to this. Everybody has agreed to this. When that was clearly a lie. They hadn't. So they deceived Darius into taking a certain position. And then they'll use flattery and manipulation of leaders to promote their schemes. They'll try to come alongside. You're a great leader. We really like you. We respect you. And then the final strategy that they always use is they use false accusation against God's people. Notice what they said. Oh, they said, Daniel pays no attention to you. You know, Daniel pays no attention to the law. And there's one other thing, one other thing that I missed. They also try to alienate and isolate us. Notice what they said when they came to report Daniel. They said, you know that Daniel, they didn't say, Daniel, your highly regarded satrap has disobeyed your, your rules. What did they say? They said, Daniel, that person who's of the exiles of the Jews, that other person, he's an immigrant. He's got, he's a different look about him 
than the rest of us. And they try to isolate him. And you see all of those strategies happening. All of those strategies. And frankly, having the favor of those in leadership will not be enough to save you. When you come under that fire, having power or position is not enough to save you in those situations. This is the reality that we are living in today. So we need to learn from Daniel not only how to see this reality, but also let's look at what Daniel did. As Daniel did, we must keep ourselves in the love of God. Uh, it was hard for me to describe this, but I took this from Jude chapter 1, verses 20 and 21. Jude says, But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. To keep yourself means to build a wall of protection around yourself. We need to build a wall of protection around ourselves, and that cannot be something that waits until the conspiracy takes root. You've got to build the wall of protection now. And quite frankly, most Christians have not built a wall of protection. And so we'll be vulnerable to these conspiracies, to these attacks. And so we need to do what Daniel did and build this wall of protection to keep ourselves, to guard ourselves in the love of God. And this is what Daniel did. And he did this for his whole lifetime. From the time he was a teenager till now, a man in his 80s. He built this wall of protection. He kept himself in the love of God. How does he do this? And the good news is we can do it the same way. We can do it the same way. These are prerequisites for not backing down. If you don't fulfill these prerequisites, you will not be able to stand when the difficulties come. Most Christians lose before they even begin because of this. And all of these are attainable by everyone who follows Jesus because even more than Daniel, we have Jesus living inside of us. We've been forgiven of our sins. We have the grace of God in our lives and we're filled with the Holy Spirit. Okay? So what did Daniel do? Number one here, he had an excellent spirit. In other words, Daniel pursued excellence and he was a man of integrity. Daniel did his best, and that's what excellence is, doing your best with the resources you have. Daniel did his best as a sign of his integrity. So people saw Daniel, they saw what he did, and they knew that what he was doing reflected the quality of character that he had on the inside. Daniel had an excellent spirit. And we need excellent spirits. The second thing Daniel had, he was faithful. He was faithful in doing what he did. He was faithful in serving God. He was faithful in serving his masters in his job. As we've said repeatedly, Daniel lived a faithful life punctuated by miracles, not a miraculous life punctuated by faithfulness. 
So he had an excellent spirit and he was faithful. He was also diligent and not negligent in his responsibilities. That's what it means when it says he had no error. He worked hard and nobody could find any fault with his work because he fulfilled his responsibilities. He was not negligent in them. He was honest and honorable so that he was incorruptible. In other words, because of his honesty, because he was a man of honor, you couldn't bribe him. You couldn't convince him. You couldn't humiliate him. You couldn't shame him. You couldn't make him feel guilty. You couldn't do anything like that to get him to change who he was in his excellent spirit and in his faithfulness. That's what it meant when it says he had no fault. And finally, he trusted God supremely. Time after time, it said in Daniel how he trusted God. He trusted God. He lived a God-oriented life. A lot of times we say, oh, I trust God, but then we live our lives the way we want to. That's not trusting God. That's saying, God, I hope I'll get into heaven, but now I'm just going to live for me. Trusting God means living for God. Trusting God means putting your fate in God's hands and not taking it upon yourself. And Daniel, his whole life, trusted God. And so because he had an excellent spirit, because he was faithful, because he was diligent, because he was honorable, and because he trusted God, and he did this every single day. This is his lived out reality. Because of that, he was protected. He kept himself in the love of God throughout his entire life. And that is a prerequisite. If we do not do that, you cannot stand. I guarantee you. You might do fine for a while, but you will eventually back down. So Daniel did this. He fulfilled that prerequisite. And then as Daniel did, we must refuse to back down. As we keep ourselves, as we protect ourselves in the love of God, we must refuse to back down. It's very interesting that uh, probably the preeminent spiritual warfare passage in the New Testament, in Ephesians, Paul tells us, after you've done any, everything, to stand. Don't back down. And that's what Daniel did. He refused to back down. Now notice, Daniel didn't argue or protest. He didn't make this a fight with the satraps. Maybe he could have gotten word, although I think they probably hid it from him, and he could have gone to Darius and said, Darius, please, don't sign this in. He could have picketed, you know, the palace, you know, something like that. He could have protested in some way, but he didn't do that. And Daniel continued in this faithfulness and integrity, even when it was upsetting other people. He didn't care about the feelings of other people. He didn't rub it in their face, but at the same time, he wasn't going to change because somebody didn't like it too much. And he continued the public practice of his faith in God. He didn't hide behind the curtains. He didn't pull the blinds. He made sure the blinds were open and prayed to God 
looking at Jerusalem right in front of the window. And he continued that public practice of faith in God, even when the law was against him. Even when the law was against him. And one of the things we often miss here is that Daniel continued his connection with God's people. He said, I don't see other Jewish people in here. You see it in his prayers. What was he doing? He didn't do a one-off prayer. He was praying three times a day. That was standard practice for all the Jews in Babylon. Those who remained faithful would, would pray three times a day at set times and they would all face toward Jerusalem when they did it. And so this is demonstrating Daniel's connection with the people of God. He wasn't doing this in isolation. He continued these hours of prayer along with the other Jews in Babylon. And he continued all of this despite the consequences, including the risk of his own life. Oh, are you willing not to back down if it costs you your life? Daniel stood for it. I hope I am. And he trusted God above everything and everyone else, including his relationship with the most powerful man in the kingdom. So Daniel kept himself in the love of God. He developed that lifelong protection around him, which then enabled him to stand. So when the crisis came, when the crunch came, he was able not to back down. He said, I'm not going to back down. I'm going to keep going. I'm going to keep living for God. I'm going to keep practicing my faith. I'm going to maintain my integrity. I'll maintain my faithfulness. I don't care about the consequences. I'm going to trust God, even if it costs me my life, just as I have done for the last 60, 70 years. I'm going to keep on doing it. And as God always does, God revealed himself and acted on behalf of his people. Even Darius acknowledges the greatness of God and called on the people of the kingdom to do the same. He acknowledged God's greatness. And he declared that he's the living God who endures forever. He declared that God's kingdom shall not end, shall not be destroyed, and that his kingdom, his dominion, will endure forever. He declared that God is the one who delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders. And in this case, he sent his angel, and the angel protected Daniel. But notice why the angel protected Daniel. Daniel reveals it. Because Daniel was blameless before God and because Daniel had done no harm to Darius. You see, he was preserved because he had kept himself in the love of God. He was a man of excellent spirit, uh, of faithfulness, of honesty and honorableness, of ultimate trust in the Lord. He had done those things for his life, protected himself. He didn't back down. And because of that, God delivered him. Now, many times we struggle 
for one of two reasons. Either, number one, is we haven't kept ourselves in the love of God. And the good news is you can start right now. You can start developing the excellent spirit, the integrity right now, the faithfulness, all of the things that I've just mentioned from Daniel. You can start today and the Holy Spirit is inside of you. You have the Bible as God's word and God's grace is upon you. So even if you mess up a bit, God can restore you. But you've got to keep yourself in the love of God. And the second place where Christians often fail is they, they back down. We don't want to be offensive. We don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. We don't have to be offensive. You don't have to hurt anybody's feelings on intentionally. Just understand, by virtue of the fact that you're a Christian, and you say that the ways of Babylon are wrong, yeah, people take offense. It's okay. It's not my deal. As we often say, if someone's offended, it's their own fault. Because they chose to take offense. And some people take offense when it wasn't given. But that's the nature of Babylon. So we can be like Daniel. We can experience the deliverance of God in our lives by the grace of God through faith in Jesus Christ as we keep ourselves in the love of God, surround ourselves with that protection and take a stand, refuse to back down. And that's the reality that we're living in. That's the reality that Daniel lived in. And because he kept himself in the love of God, because he refused to back down, the text says that Daniel prospered not only during the reign of Darius, but also during the reign of Cyrus. We're going to look into it a little bit next week. During the reign of Cyrus, two kings before Daniel finally went to be with God. Sometimes we think we need to fight, but we'll be wrong. Sometimes we think we need to be aggressive, but we'll be wrong. What we need to do is keep ourselves in the love of God, just as Daniel did. Refuse to back down and look on the deliverance of God. And I believe we'll see mighty miracles. And I believe we'll see mighty angels as we remain faithful. Let's pray. Gracious God, thank you so much for your word. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to remember it and live it out. Lord, I pray that you'd speak to our hearts and show us if there's any way, Lord, if there's any way that we have not had an excellent spirit. Show us that we might repent and get that integrity. If there's any way that we have not been faithful, show us, Lord, so we can resolve to begin now in our faithfulness. Show us if there's a way that we've been, uh, not been diligent, that we've been negligent in our responsibilities so we might repent and change. Show us if there's some way where we've not been honest and honorable in all our dealings. And show us any way that we've not been trusting in you supremely. And help us from today begin to put those things into practice. Help us from today begin to keep ourselves in the love of God. Help us from today begin to keep ourselves together in the love of God. By your grace and accordance with your mercy. 
no matter what's happening, no matter what we have to deal with, no matter the conspiracy that's happening in Babylon, the conspiracy of the day, help us as Daniel be faithful and trust in you and follow you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. For we pray all this through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.